Hello everybody and welcome back to season 8 of Sequelizers. I'm your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stockton. You must have brought me out for something fun. Terrorize the locals? Destroy the town? Let's get sequelizing! <laughs> well, done, so well done, that was a good one. And also joining, Matt and myself, it's Tim Matum. Let me tell you something about Matt Stockton. Matt Stockton wishes he could write like me. I've sold way more books than him, but no one ever talks about that. 400 million copies. Brilliant. Oh, dear. There are actually some genuinely cryptic little uh, teasers there, gentlemen. Well done. If people haven't already seen the title of the episode, they might not actually be able to guess. I'll be intrigued. See if they can work it out. But, dear listeners, we're talking about a fairly modern uh, duology of movies. Yeah, more modern than we often do. We, we often delve back into the past, into the 80s and the 90s, sometimes into the 50s. Who knows? We're sticking with the 2010s. Talking about 2018's Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween. <laughs> Spooky music, lightning bolts, etc, etc. Before we get to talking about the film and all that kind of stuff, we'd like to say a little thank you to our wonderful patrons on patreon.com slash sequelizers. You can go and get these episodes early and you can get them ad-free and basically loads of other stuff, including free merch and bonus content, such as the outtakes where we do a little, <laughs> little fun little goosebumps thing i, I won't i will tease i couldn't breathe my sternum was breaking yeah. <laughs> matt literally had to like almost fell off his chair from laughing yeah, it's true. uh it's one of my favorite things we've done in, in outtakes and i remember w w the old school days we were in the same room together mm. where we would just be crying with laughter <laughs> and barely able to function and they'd be like well better record a podcast now now we're all completely <laughs> out of breath and exhausted from too much laughing it was one of those it was great listeners and uh if you'd like to go and check it out you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. You can even go up to the higher tiers. You, you can vote on episodes. You can get exclusive merch. And if you go up to the executive producer tier, you can get a shout out on the show. And if you go even higher than that to the top, top, tippity top tier, you can pick an episode and pick a film for us to fix. The executive producers are Andrew Steen. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. I call this story Xenos. Nobody believes me, but this is the center of weirdness for the entire planet. Thank you, little paper boy. Josh van der Sluice. You are welcome to Grizzly Tales for Gruesome Kids. A series of cautionary tales for lovers of squeam. Josh Miles. I'm R.L. Stein. Don't fall asleep, or you may find yourself in the nightmare room. Jonathan Firth Clark. And Mike Salvia. You will be where you're in for a scare. 
Thank you for support, gentlemen. We really appreciate you guys. You make this show possible. You make it free for everyone else. You make the seasons longer and the interseasons longer and the episodes longer and all the bonus <laughs> content possible and all the merchandise and stuff. Thank you ever so much for your support. And uh, if you'd like to join those gentlemen, if you'd like to get a shout out, like I said, get all the extra bonus stuff, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. So, Goosebumps. It's an interesting franchise in that there are two of these movies and a movie following up from the TV show back in the 90s. Obviously, there was a TV show back in the 90s. <laughs> but it's probably most famous for the books written by one R.L. Stein, as played by Jack Black in these films. And me personally, being a child of the 90s, being born in 1990, that is absolutely where my <laughs> origins with this franchise come from. Coming from the Choose Your Own Adventure stuff, and then just reading all the... Because they're, they're really quite slim. They're like a hundred and something pages, mm. it feels like. They're very easy to read, very quick reading experiences, but jam-packed full of weird little lore bits and quirky characters and interesting horror bits. I've never been much of a horror guy, even when I was younger, but I read a shit ton of Goosebumps when I was a kid. And I think it was one of the things that really, really got me into reading like as a, as like a leisure activity rather than being like, okay, class now let's read this book for class kind of thing or reading practice at school or whatever. I would actually go out of my way to like take them from the school library and book them out and all this kind of stuff and actually read Goosebumps on my own. I then didn't particularly care about the show. I remember watching a few episodes, but like never really falling in love with it. And then fairly recently, friend of the show, Ben Allen, host of the Super 8-Bit Power Hour podcast, which we, we have feuded with in the past. <laughs> Got a blood feud. Blood feud, exactly. Local Norwich podcast, blood feud. I think it was his birthday party and invited a bunch of people around. And in the background on Netflix, he just played Goosebumps episodes. <laughs> it might have been a Halloween thing. I can't remember what it was. But it was like weirdly entertaining to just have one in the background. You turn around and there'd be the weirdest shit happening on the screen. <laughs> and you'd go off and have a conversation, grab a snack, come back. And then some other mental shit is happening because it's been 20 minutes and the, the episode has changed. I was like, this show's kind of brilliant and kind of stupid and ridiculous. And I've since gone back and watched a few more episodes on Netflix and had a great time. And then we come to these movies. But before we get to talk about the movies, Matt, what was your origin story with Goosebumps? Um, is that a spooky noise? No, it was more just me going, oh, I'm not going to make people happy. Uh, so in terms of the books, I don't think I read... I'm old. I hate it all. <laughs> I've nailed you, Matt. I've nailed no, it's, it, I don't think I've read a single one of them. Um, really? Uh, no, that's. I know you're a few years older than me, but that's that's pretty impressive. I, I know, like. it, but the reason was because they were like um, hard to avoid when I was growing up. Yes, yeah, they came out in the sort of very early nineties, at which point I was already like seven years old or something like that, and young enough. But the the transition was like, oh, kids are reading point horror. And point horror was the gateway to horror for... I mean, it's only like one year before, and I'm pretty sure R.L. Stein wrote some of those books, but that was what kids were reading in terms of horror stuff. And I didn't like reading much as a kid. I did a bit of fantasy reading uh, in terms of like Lord of the Rings, which was a fucking slog. Oh, and yeah. And <laughs> yeah, brutal. Um, 
Tom Bombadil. God, I can't wait for this oh, fun adventure. More oh, songs. Christ, we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking painful. Um, and yeah, in terms of TV, I didn't really watch any of the Goosebumps shows at all. I can't remember. I, I liked Are You Afraid of the Dark? That was uh, early 90s. Oh, you're I, one of those people. <laughs> I am, yeah. And I really liked Eerie Indiana. Mm. Um, but but then very quickly, we're talking about maybe within the space of a couple of years, you go from the age of being like, oh, I'm, I've got a bit of horror. I like a bit of horror to, oh, the X-Files has started. Yeah. <laughs> I like the X-Files. <laughs> and, oh, I'm going to be like, what's this? M- anime? Oh, okay. What what anime do we have? Violence Jack that shouldn't be watched for a child. Yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> watching that. Urotsuki Doji, the, the fucking legend of the Overfiend. Yeah, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm learning so much now. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I think um, the very narrow window passed me very quickly, mm. um, and I was aware of them. I just didn't give too much. And also at the same time, reading wise, I was really also Terry Pratchett stuff. But I went straight from Point Horror to Stephen King, a point of contention with the Goosebumps stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, my my history is almost entirely like someone who's sailing the Mediterranean from France and smacks into Italy and just avoids the two big old, two or three big islands in the middle and goes, oh, Sardinia and Corsica <laughs> are islands. But, but, no, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, you know, you just don't really notice it. It's, it's almost as if you were taking a road trip from New York to LA and then just arrived in LA and went, oh, <laughs> turns out there's nothing in between <laughs> the two spaces. Um, so yeah, I don't really have much to add, I'm afraid. I don't have the nostalgia. I don't have the awareness. I think the facts behind it, which we will get to, are terrifying um i won't i won't spoil what they are just yet um but uh, no not really not really for me never has been tim you're a little bit younger than me and a little bit older than jack which means you mm. must be you must be the prime boy i'm, I'm the i'm the i'm the, the baby bear of this podcast you know i'm not too old i'm not too young i'm, I'm right in the middle um surely okay. you're the goldilocks then no, she was a picky little bastard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tim's too pure for that shit. So, uh, yeah. So I, I, I definitely read some of the Goosebumps as I was growing up. Um, not, I, I wasn't obsessively kind of collecting them. Um, I think probably around the same time, maybe a little bit later, I discovered Terry Pratchett and that kind of really dominated my reading for yeah. a while. Um, but I definitely remember reading them, and when the when the the good old Scholastic Book Fair uh used to come around the school, Ooh. so enticing with those big oh, yeah, metal crates of bookshelves that opened up. Ooh, um, <laughs> uh, I remember, yeah, and and Point Horror, which I believe was kind of aimed at a slightly older audience, uh, than yeah. Goosebumps, and I I can remember kind of reading a few of those bits and pieces, but again, not huge horror people. I didn't. I've never read a Stephen King book, um, uh, although one of my favourite books, which is American Gods, I can remember, came with a sticker on the front that was like, "As good as Stephen King or your money back." And even though I, re- <laughs> even though I really enjoyed that, I never made the thing, made the leap to go. Well, maybe I should try Stephen King. So you know, but I would my never money think back. to compare American Gods to Stephen King. I know. Neither well, that's ridiculous. Yes. Uh, it's a very odd comparison. Um, but no, I I remember I remember. Goosebumps. There were a few that I was that I really enjoyed. Uh, liked always the the little final twist that R.L. Stein would throw in there. Um, I had some. I didn't. I think the TV show. By the time the TV show came out, 
I was probably that little bit too old for it. And there's nothing as unappealing when you're a child as something that's aimed at like one year younger than you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I kind of, I, I maybe watched a couple of episodes of the TV show, but Eerie Indiana and uh, Round the Twist, which wasn't really horror, oh, yeah. but was oh. similar kind Have of you ever, ever felt like weird this? fiction. Strange things happen, we're going round the twist. Uh, yeah, Love it. They, they, they were much more of my jam. Um, mm. Weird Australian shit. Yeah. But, no, I've got, I've got affection, and I think the without getting too far into the films i think the first goosebumps film does a really clever job because it doesn't attempt to adapt a single story it adapts yep. the franchise which is kind of the more because they because they were so they were so short um so there's not mm, yeah. there's not a huge amount of meat which makes them great for tv yes yeah absolutely there's not a huge amount of meat on those bones to like take one and turn it into a uh, a um a whole film and yeah. people who tended to read one would read a lot of them and so and because they are varied not everyone's going to read all of them however so you're going to have a bunch of people who are like oh i remember this one was my favorite and this and this and this and then you'll you go to another person who read a bunch as a kid and they go oh i never read those ones but i read this one and this one and this one and maybe have like two or three points of crossover obviously there were some titles that were more popular than others so I think they did a very smart job of the way they uh, did an adaptation. So I guess that brings us forward a couple of decades to 2015, where a little film called Goosebumps comes out. I mean, 2015, Jack, that's a weird choice. I thought, yeah, I thought that was a weird choice at the time as well. Originally directed by Rob Letterman, famously starring... Jack Black, as I mentioned earlier, as R.L. Stein himself, even though he doesn't particularly look or sound like the real R.L. Stein, but that's neither here nor there. Music by Danny Elfman. Dylan Minnette stars as kind of the main character. All this kind of stuff. Actually, surprisingly good. And I, mm -hmm. I, we will talk about that in a moment. Then followed up in 2018 with a bit of a rushed sequel in Goosebumps 2, Haunted Halloween. First of all, that's a fucking terrible title. Yeah. Just leave it with Goosebumps 2 or use one of the classic things like... <laughs> we'll get into it, listeners. We'll get into it. <laughs> but as you know, for this season, the synopses are back. So allow me to do the honours of giving you a quick rundown of both Goosebumps 1 and Goosebumps 2. Haunted Halloween. So, starting with Goosebumps number one, Zach Cooper, played by Dylan Minnette, as I mentioned, and his mother Gail move from New York City to a small suburban neighbourhood in Madison, Delaware. Not only is Zach the new kid at school, his mum is also the new vice principal, and he has a creepy new neighbour. Zach starts to think that Hannah, the neighbour's daughter, is being abused by her father. Zach and his new scaredy-cat friend Champ or Chump, as he's known for most of the film. And yes, it's short for champion. Sneak into Hannah's house and accidentally unlock a manuscript notebook containing a story about the abominable snowman. The snowman himself materialises from the ink of the book and chases the kids to an ice rink for some reason. Snow. The snowman is eventually... Yeah, sure. 
The snowman eventually is eventually captured by the neighbor, revealing himself to be legendary Goosebumps author R.L. Stein, as played by Jack Black. The snowman had knocked some of the other books off the shelves, including Night of the Living Dummy, which unleashes Stein's most evil creation, Slappy <laughs> the Dummy. Slappy causes mayhem across Madison by releasing many of the other classic Goosebumps monsters, including the gnomes, uh, the, the blob that ate everything, loads of other... If you've read a Goosebumps monster, it's probably in his own giant praying mantises, etc. Oh, and a vampire poodle, because, <laughs> you know. They hatch a plan to recapture all of the monsters into a single new book, but it needs to be written using Stein's magical typewriter. F for some reason. Stein confesses to Zack that his daughter, Hannah, is actually a character from the ghost next door and will be imprisoned along with the other monsters. Zack completes the manuscript on Stein's behalf and Hannah sacrifices herself to save the town. Very sad ending as they kiss and say goodbye to each other and she's whisked away. You have to let go. Classic <laughs> reference to Lost, I assume. In the epilogue, Stein begins working at Zack's school as a substitute teacher, as well as dating his aunt because reasons, and creates a new Hannah with a new novel. He burns the book, making her permanent, allowing her and Zack to reunite and have a fresh start. Finally, the magical typewriter, now in a trophy case in the school, starts typing by itself as the invisible boy begins writing a new Goosebumps book, now entitled The Invisible Boy's Revenge. And it ends with Jack Black doing his ah face <laughs> to the camera, basically. <laughs> so there's a very logical, you know, jumping off point there, listeners. It leaves on a cliffhanger. So it Flows would make sense, well. you know, you follow up onto that cliffhanger. Nope. <laughs> Time for Goosebumps 2. Sarah Quinn, no mention of the other characters. Yep. Welcome to a bad sequel. Sarah Quinn lives with her mother, Kathy, and brother, Sonny, in Wardenclyffe, New York. Sarah is attempting to get into Columbia University by writing an essay about fear. Sonny and his friend Sam, yeah, it's, it's clunky, Matthew. Sonny and his friend Sam starting a junk cleanup business and are asked to clean up an abandoned house by an anonymous tip. While cleaning, they find a locked manuscript and open it, causing our old friend Slappy the living dummy to reappear once again. He unknowingly brings Slappy to life by speaking magic words found in his pocket. At home, Sonny is working on a science project and Slappy gains his trust by magically doing chores and helping him with homework. Meanwhile, Sarah goes to a party to meet her boyfriend Tyler, but catches him cheating on her. He's kissing another Piece girl. It's teen, teen drama all over the place. Ugh. Slappy sabotages Sonny's science project, which damages the science lab, and he attacks Tyler for cheating on Sarah. The kids work out that Slappy is behind the recent sabotages and capture him and try to like drown him in a lake for some reason. <laughs> I suitcase, guess that makes sense. In a suit, yeah, they chuck her a suitcase. They're just yeah. gonna chuck yep. him in a lake. I mean, it makes sense. But he... An animated ventriloquist sure. dummies famously need air to survive. <laughs> <laughs> that was my thinking. It's like I guess they've made him alive in a way, but like they don't know what that means and they don't know what the rules are. Like, fuck it, drown him in a fire. That right? He's made of wood. Slappy manages to escape. And that night, which is, by the way, a Halloween, Ooh. the spookiest of nights, they find an article online describing the events of the first film in Delaware, 
and try to contact Mr. R. L. Stein after realizing the book they found was an unpublished Goosebumps manuscript called Haunted Halloween. Fucking terrible title. Stein, now living in a cabin in the woods, heads off to help them. Here's where it gets weird, ladies and gentlemen, because Slappy just kind of becomes a magical god for some reason. Yeah. Sounds like I'm making this up. I'm not. <laughs> Slappy uses his magic, because that's a thing now, to bring costumes and Halloween decorations to life. He uses the haunted mask, another famous Goosebumps thing that people complained wasn't in the first movie, to transform an employee called Walter into a giant, like, troll beast, ogre thing. Yeah. Poor yeah. Chris Parnell. Slappy travels. <laughs> Slappy travels to the Wardenclyffe Tower, which is a reference to the science project he was doing, which is a reference to a Nikola Tesla thing mm -hmm. in real life, and uses it to amplify his magic, because that's how magic works. Electricity and magic, like Thor. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sarah, Sonny and Sam retrieve the book from the bully's house and work out that, like the first film, the book can trap monsters inside. By the way, a, a bully had stolen the book earlier. I don't think I mentioned that, but it's not really relevant. It's fine. No. Inconsequential. <laughs> the, kid, the kid's neighbour, played by Ken Jong, playing that character that Ken Jong plays in every film <laughs> in that five-year period where he's like, oh, we need comedy relief and a guy to be really funny and improv yeah. something and get Ken Jong in. Yeah, I'll be fine. He's funny in anything you put him in, but he's basically the same character. He helps them craft monster disguises to sneak out. And he's like a weirdly obsessive Goosebumps fan. It's all a bit weird. Yeah. To sneak around, past the monsters, get to the tower and confront Slappy. At the tower, Slappy has turned Sarah's mum, Kathy, into a living dummy. They don't make that big of a deal about this in this film, <laughs> but it's the most terrifying thing by a long <laughs> fucking way. Mm-hmm. Sonny and Sam managed to overload the reactor of the tower while Sarah defeats Slappy by just basically kicking him into the big <laughs> electrical coil thing. Yeah. Sarah opens the book and combines it with the reactor's energy because, again, that's how magic works. Yeah. It needs energy to function to suck all the other monsters into the haunted Halloween manuscript whilst also returning Kathy and the transformed Walter back to normal. Arl Stein finally arrived. Brilliant timing. Well done, Rob. Congratulates the kids on defeating the monsters and gives Sarah some writing advice for her essay. She was the essay on fear she was writing at the beginning. Mm. How exciting. In a weirdly similar epilogue, mm. but just done worse, Kathy and Walter are dating now because <laughs> reasons. Sonny wins the science fair. Sarah gets into Columbia University with her writing essay. And finally, back in Stein's cabin, Slappy reappears. Because he was like fired off to the moon, or he gets electrocuted and like zooms off, like <laughs> like Timmy off again, like Team, Jurassic Team Rocket, yeah, <laughs> yeah, blast off like Team Rocket, exactly. Slapper reveals he's written a book of his own where R. L. Stein is the main character. He opens the manuscript and sucks his creator into the book. Close the book. End of the second film. End of all these films. <laughs> They're making a third. Yeah, no shit, no shit. Um, so yeah, weirdly enough, I really enjoyed the first film and as we probably kind of already knew listeners, Matt had seen them both before. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Surprise, yeah. surprise. Yeah. There isn't a film that we've ever discussed that Matt hasn't seen because ta-da. I really liked the first one. I was genuinely pleasantly surprised and I had the feeling of like, if I was 15 years younger, if I was 20 years younger, especially if I was 10 mm. and this film came out. 
this would be my fucking jam. This is this is like cabin in the woods for kids. <laughs> I absolutely love, absolutely love it. all these bloody monsters. There's there's this. I don't know if you caught this. There's a wacky like vampire dude who is just chewing all the scenery in the background of every scene, <laughs> and he's just there being like, bleh, bleh, bleh. and be like, oh no, we got to save the town. All the shot of the monsters, he's like, hey, he's brilliant. I want to know who that guy is, but. Yeah, I thought it was actually quite clever how they managed to do the thing, like Stein being un- unable to finish the manuscript and getting Zach to finish it and the twist being Hannah, but she already knows and all this kind of stuff. I'd quite like for her not to come back like straight away because that kind of undoes the sacrifice and maybe have that be like the the little teaser at the end of like he starts writing The Return of the Girl Next Door or something like that. Mm. I thought that would have been a nice little twist. But overall, I really enjoyed the first film. And as you could probably tell by me reading the synopsis of the second film, it just don't make no sense. And it undoes all the rules from the first one, which, as we know, is a cardinal fucking sin of a bad sequel. You just retcon all the stuff like, yeah, Slappy's a magic dummy. Yeah. Wait, what? And I you, guess, he, I you guess have to... he can kind of teleport in the first one. But like, he comes alive and like starts turning other things into living dummies and bringing inanimate objects to life and channeling his powers through a giant Tesla coil. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And you have Christ. to you have to read magic to activate him. Like, in the in the first film, they just jump out of the books and then they go, you know? Yeah. 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 He's just he, running them out. He says the like, same magic word and it affects other inanimate objects. And it's like, that. oh, hang on now. Yeah. Um, We, we should point out, again, okay, this is actually behind the curtains a little bit, but... um. This was not the originally planned episode that we were going to be doing uh, for the second episode of season eight. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but it was like, oh, we should do this. This should be our like sort of family, family film. We'll do that one. And then oh it, yeah, yeah, right. And it's like, oh shit, actually no, wait, this is a a prequel and a sequel to a prequel. So wait, what? No, <laughs> fuck. Um, hang on. So we realized we actually couldn't do it. The fuck. And I remember thinking, Goosebumps is good and the sequel's bad. And I remember saying that quite confidently and thinking, wait, I haven't seen it a long time. Is it good? I think it's good. I think I remember enjoying it. I thought it was all right. And then I thought, nobody talks about it. Nobody, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Um, and then went back and watched it again, like you guys did. And it's like, no, it's good. It's a fucking great. And, and you're right. I, I think it's a very much a formula. Um, I'd say, okay, I, I would boldly say very different, but it's kind of like Stranger Things in that it is an 80s premise with 2000s kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you had 80s kids, they'd be swearing, smoking, and, and perving on girls. Um, but they're not. They're like sensitive, nice people, mostly. Um, so you have all the things you'd get in like an, an, a, a 90s film, like something like Hocus Pocus, for example, mm. where it's very campy and self-aware and silly, but also quite fun and doesn't talk down to kids um and it's one of those things that you watch as a young like jack said like maybe 10 years ago this is my fucking jack i'm adoring this is amazing this is fun this was made for me i was born in 2005 this would be the best (laughs) yeah and if you're a teenager (laughs) you're like yeah all right it's 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 good or i'll watch it with my you know younger brother or sister whatever yeah it's all right and then you know you get to but it's, it's genuinely well made um and very entertaining and very funny. We'll get more about the details. Really well cast as well. Mm. Stupidly well cast, which is yeah. a big problem. But also the fact that <laughs> oh, yeah. um, Rob Letterman went on to direct uh, Detective Pikachu after this. And it kind of, of feels... Of course he did, yeah. 
Right. It's like, he, uh, the thing is, he also did um, some shit. So he <laughs> he did Monsters <laughs> vs. Aliens did. is all right. I don't mind that film. I think it's okay as an animated movie. It's fine. I'm a, I'm a big, um, big pro Monsters vs. Aliens. Yeah. When I found out that he had done that, I was like, oh yeah, I can see, I can yeah. see that. Some of his earlier his work, debut, less good. Yeah. But his debut was fucking Shark Tale, which is shit. Um, and Gulliver's Travels, which was... They totally Jack reference Black. Gulliver's tra- Travels, they right? With the gnomes like tying down Jack Black and being like, mm-hmm. oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and the, it's, it's very strange. I think his next thing, by the way, is is he's doing an adaptation... Well, he's supposed to be doing an adaptation of, of Beyond Good and Evil, which is a, a very... Ooh, uh, interesting. Yeah, very, very beloved video game but yeah he's got a really good style a bit of like a joe dante kind of kind of guy mm. um he he does strike me as sort of like very 90s for example if you told me this is the guy that directed the original jumanji i'd be like yeah that makes sense yeah uh, actually jumanji is a very good example because it's that level of i mean maybe jumanji is a bit too dark um but it, it does have that sort of early 90s mid 90s kind of feel to it more than, than the 80s monster squad kind of thing um and the CGI is actually very impressive. Um, I think a lot of the effects really hold up. Incidentally, if you look at something like the um, uh, like the returning cast or something on one of the Wikipedia pages or something like that, and they'll say, oh, look, people who, you know, characters that have appeared in multiple different iterations from the TV series to the first film to the second film. And they'll say, like, you know, uh, the, the Abominable Snowman was played by this stuntman. And who is he played by in the, in the sequel? Just CGI. It's just fucking CGI. Just shit CGI. Like, oh, okay. Yep. Um, there's no motion capture. There's no, no performance to it. It's just a big old blob of pixels. Yeah. And Jack Black's... He's very good in it. Um, in the same way that he shouldn't be funny in Jumanji, the, the mm. sequels to Jumanji. He shouldn't 100%. be yep. funny in some of the other stuff he's in that you think, oh, this is going to be... I don't really want to see Jack Black in this. He's going to be like, oh, it's going to be like year one or it's going to be... Um, Gulliver's something inappropriate. Gulliver's <laughs> fucking travels exactly. But then you watch something like School of Rock and think, God, this man's good. And I still maintain he was fantastic in uh, King Kong as as Denim. Mm. But that's that's by the by. And obviously we love him from Kung Fu Panda. So it's 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 kind of like Mark Wahlberg and like which one's going to turn up? Is it going to be someone who's like <laughs> like in the house with the clock in its walls? We're like, yeah, he's just doing the Goosebumps guy again. Um, or, or something like that. Or is he going to be actually yeah, just yeah. entertaining? When we talked about the Jack Black Goosebumps thing, I'm like, hmm. yeah, there's that one where it's like a clock in the walls. Or something. <laughs> I, I, assume, I assume that's the sequel. Because I'd never heard of Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween. Mm. I'd heard, oh, he did Goosebumps and some clock in a wall thing that's a kind of kid's horror thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, I assume he's just basically playing the same character. And, uh, <laughs> turns out I was wrong. I mean that was that was one of the problems, and I I really like Jack Black. Um, there was a uh, he was trending on Twitter recently actually because uh, someone shared the clip of him in uh, School of Rock where he oh um, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, encourages the girl to sing um, and says kind of don't don't worry about that you know people think you're overweight or whatever um, and it's it's a really nice clip and and people my chunky yeah but I'm sexy yeah, yeah. Um, and and people were just saying like how much they love that film and stuff and I and I do think and and I think he's really good in kids films I think he's got a great energy that he brings to it and he doesn't feel like he's like we talk about like kind of people treating kids like idiots he he doesn't mm, feel like he's yeah. performing down to children He's just like, no, I'm yeah. just going to approach this on, on any the same level that I would bring to any other performance. And I think his, mm. weirdly enough, because I think he said his, um, 
his performance in this was inspired a little bit by Orson Welles, which I think his performance in King Kong was also inspired by Orson yes, Welles. Yes, yes. Uh, King Kong one definitely yeah. was, yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I really like Jack Black, and I think, yeah, the one of the reasons that he is not in the second film that much is because he was making The House with the Clock in Its Walls. And yep. around this period, he's also obviously in the Jumanji sequel and then the sequel to the sequel. Um, mm. And I love that there's been this kind of little bit of a Jack Black renaissance. Uh, that, mm. Like he's always done kids' films, like School of Rock is a kids' film and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But he definitely seems to have um, like become popular again starring in these kids films and i think it probably helps that he's got quite a big youtube like twitch following um yeah. where he's basically just like a video game streamer with his kids i think um yep pretty much and uh and so you know there's this whole new generation discovering him and uh that's great but it like the fact that he's barely in the second film is a real detriment to it you might have noticed in my synopses when I got three quarters of the way through and went, R.L. Stein arrives. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, great, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, like the film is the film's 90 minutes and I don't think he shows up until 56 minutes in or something like that. Yeah, it, it's it's almost bang on an hour. Yeah. yeah, I think you're exactly right with like 56, 57 yeah. minutes, something like that. I will say that because Jack Black, in addition to playing R.L., you know, the fictional R.L. Stein, because R.L. Stein has a cameo in it, but nobody cares. Um, in addition to him playing that role, he also voices Slappy, the mm. dummy. Um, and but he the, doesn't and the in the sequel. Boy. And the Invisible Boy, yeah. Um, but he doesn't in the sequel. Um, and the sequel, I don't, I don't remember who they got in it. So is it Matt Winger or something? The point, whoever they got in for the for the voice of Slappy, the dummy, in the sequel, um, Mick, Wing, Mick Wingert, Wingert, I think his name is. Um, point is, he does a good impression. He does a genuinely good mm. uh, Jack Black doing Slappy the dummy impression problem is the lines are all fucking awful um <laughs> yep but we'll get to the sequel in a second but yeah goosebumps is a film that i genuinely think is pretty damn good and every time i say that people go eh, really and it's like yeah and you say like why why 2015 and it's like you know 20 years after the tv series um started and uh, nearly 25 years after the books sort of really came out um so it's not necessarily any particular anniversary just it happened to get you know green at that period i'm be surprised they tried to get off the ground a lot it, it was um, definitely it was something that people have been attached to basically since the 90s there was i yeah. think george romero was gonna make it at one point wow um Amazing. yeah they've, they've if been he'd done night of the living dummy that would have been kind yeah. of brilliant. <laughs> yeah there's been a bunch of people who've been mm. attached to it at various different points and and mm. and i think there was probably a fallow period where there was not enough nostalgia for it to be made. Um, and we've yeah. got around to a point where like, yeah, the people who grew up with them are now having kids. And so there was, <laughs> um, mm. so uh, there was another, a new kind of audience for it where, yeah. Yeah. Where, where adults would be like, Oh, I watched those as a kid. Let's, let's take my child to see them. Yeah, entirely. And I, th I think, it made a lot of money, basically. It, not a huge, crazy, you know, mm. we're talking like, you know, we used to like a billion dollars kind of thing. Um, but on a budget of whatever it was, like 50 million or something, it, it made, I want to say, 150, 200 million, mm. which again, for a family film, 
not great. That's not brilliant. But it's it made its money back with profit. That's that's yeah, a positive. I've I've got the numbers here. So oh, it's between uh, estimated between fifty eight and eighty four million dollars, mm, and made mark. nearly a hundred. Uh, yeah, that's a. <laughs> Oh, they probably did some reshoots and CGI and bullshit. Sure, sure. So let, let's say, bang in the middle there, say 70 million. Why yeah, not? Yeah, sure. 70 million, and it made 158 at the box office. So yeah. just so that, allowing so, for marketing costs probably just squeaked into profit. Yeah. Precisely. And I yeah. think a lot of people fell asleep on it. I think people... I would think a lot of our demographic would actually genuinely really enjoy it. Mm. Not just because of the age thing or nostalgia purposes, but because there's a lot of really decent humor in there a lot of good performances the visual effects are good um and it's just just a moment in the in the in the film where they're being tra- chased by the giant praying mantis and it's like i remember writing this and it's like sort of spits on the screen oh no i guess i did <laughs> and you know it starts wiping the screen wipe windscreen wipers off and like, what are you doing let's go and it's like no i can't see anything like, and then they're all shouting as the thing's storming through town and like smashing stuff i'm like it's like this looks pretty fucking good and again as jack said if i was and i'm like i enjoy it now and i appreciate it but if i was younger i would have definitely been like the canon of like oh i have to watch this again this is one i watch on loop kind of thing at a certain time of year kind of thing um because it's 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 genuinely very earnest and and well constructed Mm. i would i would definitely say like if you're someone who a bit like matt likes to watch a lot of horror films and spooky films around halloween like mm-hmm. throw throw goosebumps into your mix. If you're looking for like a palette of just like, oh, we've watched a lot of horror, but I still want something spooky. Um, it's a it's a good one to throw in there. And I like Especially if you're getting family involved as yeah, well. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. If, got, if you're introducing nieces, nephews, kids, yeah, grandkids, yeah. whatever, like some children stole. It's a really good way to yeah, well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> if you wanna If you're the if you're the Pied Piper, just stick this on in your cave. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think that would work really, really well, Tim. That's a good idea. And I think, um, like when we were when we were parceling out uh, who did what pitch this season, I I was very deliberate. I was like, I've done. I did. Uh, Honey, I blew up the kid. I did the Little Mermaid, and I did yep. Spy Kids. I don't. I I feel like I need to take a break. Uh, from you're doing, all sick of the kids from doing kids films. But as I was watching this, I sent a message to to. To the guys and said like <laughs> i don't want to toot my own horn but like this feels like a tim pitch um that's actually does, been made really into a film um yeah it this does, was like it does have that do classic... a modern remake of the goosebumps film instead of like sequel yeah like we were making the 2015 film rather than the 2018 sequel yeah mm. i couldn't agree more it's a totally thing of like okay so main character is this kid right he's, he's good he's been <laughs> in other stuff but Jack Black, right? Yeah. <laughs> that yes, that Jack Black from School of Rock and Tenacious D and all that other stuff. He's playing R.L. Stein. We'd all be like, "Whoa, <laughs> what the fuck!" You you cast Jack Black as actual. Uh, so is he famous in this? Is he R.L. Stein? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he and hates Stephen King. <laughs> and he hates Stephen King, just like the real R.L. Stein. Does. Uh, <laughs> That is such a fucking sequelizer's pitch. You're so right. And I, yeah. I I would love to be, again, in that alternate timeline moment where you pitch this, Tim, mm. and Matt and I just start freaking out. Like, <laughs> You're a fucking genius. He cast Jack Black as R.L. Stein. Yeah. R.L. Stein, he's in the film. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's so <laughs> good. So where do the monsters come from? His old manuscripts. Oh, my <laughs> God, he's done it again. It's really clever. It is really clever. It is. Mm. It is. It's genuinely... 
a simple but great and engrossing premise. And as I said, it's very earnest in how the character stuff comes up. And some of it's predictable to adults who go, oh yeah, I see what you're doing here. Mm. And then it turns around and says, no, I know. And he knows and she yeah. knows. And it's like, oh, it's kind of nice. I like that. Yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. And, and even things like it goes through the trope of the new kid and bullying and mm. all that stuff. I mean, the whole fucking they're moving from New York to Delaware is like, that's like six or fucking... I can't remember how many shots of driving yeah. aerial shots. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> just some, oh, just God, some stock yeah. footage of like cars dri- driving down a road. Yeah, one might be The Shining or the stuff they use in Blade Runner, which was also The Shining. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> um, but, <laughs> Everything's just The Shining. But yeah, yeah, I think there's some genuine moments of humour, like the bit where they're fighting the abominable snowman, and to, to get away, they jump on the Zamboni and then realise that it's like travelling at about a quarter yeah. of a mile an hour. Um, I do like those trying to escape from the werewolf and Jack Black suddenly stops and starts playing like Axe or Lynx body spray. Yeah. He's like, he knows my scent. Yeah. <laughs> he starts spraying my scent. Like, it's not working. And he just leaves. I was like, it's just so, so many little bits that mm. feel like it's had a lot of really good punch up. Mm. Um, and, and again, the energy from all of them. It, uh, by the way, we, we are hitting some key notes here, listeners, because we'll be coming back to these fucking points mm. in a second. Um, <laughs> it, it, it just feels from start to finish like a lot of fun that's surprisingly sincere mm. for what it for what it is and of all the premises of what it could be this is i would say its best iteration its best version yeah 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 it genuinely feels like this could have so easily and we'll get onto this been this kind of <laughs> cheap like oh we've got an ip let's just shit out a movie because we know kids will go and see it and like parents will take them to it and it's like oh it's a bit scary so you know that'll be good for halloween or whatever and mm. but this actually feels like they took the time and went no actually we 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 want to make the best goosebumps movie we possibly can and we will yeah. take the time and put in the effort and 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 the commitment to actually doing that um and it genuinely feels like yeah no this is a great like you say things like jumanji small soldiers hocus pocus like it's really in that tradition of just kind of like yeah i did find it when i was watching it i was like these like the 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 kids feel like they're a little bit they're acting a little bit too young for how old they're meant to be but then i kind of realized that like Oh no, because this film, like if you're if you're the age of the characters in this film, you would not be watching this film. Like they're they're <laughs> meant to be kind of like I guess about fifteen or sixteen. It's how a ten year old thinks a fifteen year old is. Exactly. Yes. They're and they're kind of acting more like they're sort of eleven or twelve than mm-hmm. they would be at fifteen or sixteen. It's like oh, because sure. that's the audience for this film. But an eleven year old kind of wants to think that they're cool, mm-hmm. and so they're. You see, cast a slightly older kid, but have them kind of act a little bit more childish than they would yeah. be normally. Which again is 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 rife through family stuff mm. and kids stuff, especially. I mean, not it doesn't go full on Power Rangers where it's like, wow, these twenty year olds yeah. are <laughs> probably like they're seven. I don't really understand yeah. are these these kids' with attitudes who are mm. painting the community fence and dancing. Uh, um, yeah, so no, it, it's it's it's. Again, I should. But while I'm hump, hyping this thing up, it's like a yeah, like a strong four out of five. I think it's a mm. decent film. Um, maybe maybe a yeah, very high three low. Off, but no, I think the fact that it exceeds expectations, yeah, entirely, mm. kind of sets the, and, sets the standard. If that makes sense. And as we've discussed, there's so many kids' films out there that keep treat kids like idiots. 
And yes. when something treats kids like idiots watching it as an adult, you're just like, wow, this is really talking down to the audience. And obviously watching this as an adult, you can see a lot of the twists coming and, and some of the gags and stuff like that. But it it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're really being pandered to. And especially mm. I think if you watch this as a kid, you would, like you say, really enjoy it. Which brings us very neatly to the sequel. Um, <laughs> fuck me. Hey, remember all that sincerity and good acting and stuff we were just talking about? <laughs> None of that. Here's, here's my... Uh, um, the reaction I had as I left the cinema, basically, having seen the second film. Um, the energy and the pacing and the sincerity, as, as mentioned, from the first one is gone. Now, the kids in question are kind of weirdly divided at this point because you have uh Sarah, uh, played by Madison Eisman, and she's about to go to college and therefore she's technically older than the other kids, but still acts much, much, much younger than the other ones. Mm. So it's very confusing still. But then you've also got um Sonny and Sam, and these two characters feel more age appropriate to where I think they're younger teens than, than the previous cast um, and they go through the usual tropes of like oh I'm being bullied in school we're trying to be you know we're just nerdy kids trying to just get on make some money and you know enjoy ourselves and that that's all fine and they do the best they have with what they have mm. um, the problem is there's no charm to any of it um, and it's any excuse to just get the fucking shit going and it's like 10-15 yeah. minutes in and it's the most uh, trite conceit of how to get just just get the ball rolling. So just then they find a book. It's yeah. like what? Yeah. To briefly put it into perspective for the actors, uh, Dylan Manette, who plays Zach in the first one, is he's currently twenty four, so would have been eighteen 19, when 18, he yeah. eighteen, nineteen, seventeen. You know when he's filming seventeen, mm -hmm, eighteen mm -hmm. when it came out, nineteen, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Jeremy Raymond Taylor, who plays Sonny in the sequel, is currently 17, so would have been, what, 15, 14 or so mm -hmm. when he was sure. actually filming the thing. So mm. a few years younger, but at that age, a few years is a huge difference in terms of maturity. Thinking about, you know, mm. the difference between being a year five and a year eight or a year four and a year seven, like in grade mm. five and grade eight for you Americans makes a huge difference in terms of, yeah, of who you're hanging out with, what you're able to do, you know, levels of maturity and all that kind of stuff. So I know that yeah. maybe not quite exactly those ages for the, for the characters, but the actors ages are, are notable there as well. Mm. Sure. And I think it is worth pointing out. I think it's down to the writing um, in this a large part because Jeremy Ray Taylor um, is also in uh, the It films. He, is, um, yeah. he played uh, Ben um, mm -hmm. in those and he's fine in those. Like he's, he's really good. Um, yeah. I think all yeah. the kid actors in, in those films are pretty good. And um, he's, it just doesn't feel like he's got the same energy or, it's just it's just a worse film. <laughs> uh, and um, funnily enough, actually, uh, uh, Sarah, um, who's played by Madison Eisman, um, she also plays the uh, the girl that is transformed into Black 
uh, Jack Black in the Jumanji films, mm-hmm. um, which is a weird little oh, bit. Oh, of course of, he does. Uh, yeah, coincidental yeah, yeah. casting. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I th- it just speaking it, of coincidences, you, uh, Jeremy Ray Taylor is also in the Are You Afraid of the Dark uh, reboot. Ah. A few episodes. Of that. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, again, it, when you're involved in it, I think they just snapped up all like it and Stranger Things snap up all those kids and put them in yeah. similar horror esque bits. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, but I think it's it's it just it just shows how much like writing and possibly direction as well. Like as we said, the um, Rob Letterman went on to do Detective Pikachu and has done some good films mm-hmm. in the past. Um, I don't know. I can't even remember the name of the director for Goosebumps 2. It's Ari Sandel. Um, um, or Sandel, possibly. Yeah. Now, I remember <laughs> I remember he did The Duff with oh, Mae Whitman. I quite like The Duff. Exactly. I, I know that was mm-hmm. well-received, actually. It wasn't too bad. Um, so th- that's why I was like partly surprised. Mm. Um, he also did uh, When We First Met with Adam yep. Devine. And I was like, oh, I don't the I Netflix not care for that. kind of rom-com from a few years yeah. ago mm. um and then obviously he does this but he, he, he he's a he brings uh that's gonna sound awful he brings nothing creatively to it when it comes to the visuals or all the directions yeah it feels like um it, it, it's all very flat and which what is interesting because i believe he is potentially attached to do a monster high yes. um show the, the mattel dolls i'm he like is indeed yeah, and I'm like, I, I, again, I get it because of the Goosebumps thing, but the better director got snapped up by the better property. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, it's like you know, I I, I can actually see a a, a a Monster High thing actually being quite interesting and, and being quite good mm. potentially because the the potential is just go full Universal monsters and have it you know with high school drama. Great, be fantastic. Yeah. And but those dolls have sold billions of units entirely. So. <laughs> But I figure that whatever they do visually will be very dull. Mm. Um, I don't think there was much in this movie that really stood out to me as 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 in any way. Str- it's so strange because the, the cinematography, the direction, um, none of it really. It, it, I gotta phrase it. It's not that it's shot like it's made for TV. It's it's competently made. Mm. It's not like a fucking Hallmark movie either, where it's literally just shot reverse shot and it's mm. really boring and you know that kind of stuff. It's just the fact that it's remarkably uninspired it's it's Um, it's the thing of the original goosebumps as in the 2015 one is surprising (laughs) in how good it is Mm. and this has absolutely no surprise (laughs) this yeah this is just if you'd have said it's the sequel to a goosebumps film it's exactly what you would expect in in terms of characters in terms of writing it's full of archetypes and stereotypes and all the predictable bullshit I think in terms from a like a directorial standpoint, it doesn't have any like pizzazz, any signature flair, je, yeah. je ne sais quoi, sig, signature flair. Mm. Exactly. There's nothing like you know. We've talked about this plenty of times before. You get a real visionary or an auteur or somebody who had a really even just a clearly sure. defined style. They don't necessarily need to be an auteur or like one of the all-time greats or anything like that. They just had a really clear style and vision for the first film. And then they churn out a sequel that's like, yeah, we can totally do that. It's fine. We can totally copy that style. And then they completely misunderstand what made the first one special. And it just, there you go. It's just loads of CGI. It'll be fine, right? Like, ah. <laughs> you know, they did motion capture for the first one, right? And they actually 
were able to craft a load of stuff and so yeah i I think i think that's a really common thing with bad sequels and that's a easy thing to do with just having boring predictable shit happen Mm. if that makes sense basically in my opinion Goosebumps 2 is everything I would have expected from a Goosebumps movie if you told me it was that. And someone's like, oh, it's a Goosebumps movie. It's like, yeah, and then I'd envision this, where it's like really quite dull, and then one really big showdown at the end that doesn't really captivate much. It's like, oh, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Kids might like it, I guess. Mm. And you just say, that's fine, that's all it is. Um, it's a bit of a hollow, forgettable piece mm. um, that will do the rounds on you know one of the TV stations at Halloween. Um, I was going to say in the way that, what is it, Halloween Town, or whatever it's called, got uh, rinsed and repeated over and over. and over. But then I remember that a lot of people fucking love that movie, so maybe I won't <laughs> say that specifically. Uh, people get really defensive of Halloween Town. Um, even though it's not good. <laughs> not the point. And the frustration is that while you have the first film that very cleverly utilizes the various characters and, uh, you know, the sort of almost Easter egg style, oh shit, look at that, mm. and not in a fucking Ready Player One, you blink and you'll miss it kind of way, but in an actual worked in, uh, logically thought out sort of thing, um, you have all this stuff in there that makes sense and feels like it has actual weight and purpose. Mm. Um, and you can tell they obviously have this huge tick box of oh we're gonna do all we could do all these things but we can't we can't for the budget and we can't because it's too yeah there's too like much. what seventy five different monsters to pick yeah. from in the yeah. the incredibly mm. long running Goosebumps franchise yeah exactly. and and towards the end in the original film you do have like these big crowd shots of just a bunch yeah. of monsters and and like Jack said you know there's 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 a vampire doing his uh, <laughs> kind of uh, in the <laughs> uh, off to one side and and stuff like that so there's a lot of kind of like oh if you you know pause it and and go through you'll find all the ones you like but yeah but I think it does a good job of like picking out a few notable ones yeah to focus on and things that even if they aren't huge bestsellers it's like but it will look good on film mm. it'll translate well whereas in the second movie slappy says his magic well no sorry the kids say the magic word and bring slappy to life slappy then says the magic word and brings fucking halloween costumes to life which also happened to be the same fucking characters mm. as the first film and his plan is basically the same as the first film it's a lot of retreading sequel ground um the tesla stuff is weird um yeah i mean it, a it, weird it, choice it, yeah. it was fun to find out that like oh yeah tesla built this big tower that was going to be a international communications network and like led me to led me to some interesting like wikipedia pages but you know <laughs> see i i knew all that stuff i was not, not about, like some boast by the way um uh i knew all that stuff and i was like oh yeah that energy was going to be free mm. Fuck you, Edison. Yeah. And fuck you, Morgan. Um, and you know all that sort of stuff about patents of electricity. It, it, that is quite interesting. Mm. Um, the fact that, however, that you know Slappy messes with the 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 science presentation, mm. and the Tesla coil basically becomes something from fucking Command and Conquer. Yeah. Starts taking out portions of the building, frying a girl's face, and only one for some reason. And she says, "It's photo day or picture day," and you're like, "Yeah, I don't." No, it's it's kind of cartoony, but not because I don't get it. Mm. And again, like the whole, like as I say, the testicle thing, like th- there's no ramification, there's no consequence. It doesn't seem like it's grand. And, and the thing that Tim mentioned earlier about the idea that it doesn't talk down to kids. In the first film, the kids have purpose and consequence. So in other words, they are there to 
uh, uncover the mystery and save the day. Because, mm. you know, that's what kids want to see. You know, sometimes it's cool to see a cool adult, a snake plissken, if you will, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, doing some cool shit. But sometimes you want to see like what you think a cool older kid is. Like, when I'm a, a couple of years time, I'll be like these kids, mm. that kind of thing. And the second film doesn't really have that. It has a lot of bumbling and a lot of, you gotta believe us, mom, that kind of bullshit, which <laughs> I get it, but... It, Again, it hits so many negative tropes as if it's like fucking aiming for them. Like skiing down, a slalom down a ski slope and hitting every fucking flag in the way <laughs> on your face. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, and yeah, it's just kind of dull. Yeah. And then Jack Black turns up and you're like, oh yeah, shit. Hey man. An uncredited Jack Black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I think talking, going, kind of going back to the look of the first film and why it feels so much more interesting and special. Somebody we talked about fairly recently on the show as well, a guy whose name I'm going to attempt to pronounce is the cinematographer, Javier Aguera Sorobi, who did things such as the Twilight franchise that we mm -hmm. touched on before and all this other really good stuff. Like, oh, I don't know, things like the recent, fairly recent, Fright Night, mm -hmm. which is a, another great, like, mm. underrated horror thing of recent years mm. thor ragnarok the promise the finest hours warm bodies all this kind of you know really interesting brilliant looking films and mm. then again not to not to slate somebody too much but barry peterson for the second one i'm like oh yeah sure barry peterson's least he's fine that's a weird one because i think barry peterson is comes from a comedy background and comedy is almost like just light it really well. Well, he did like Zoolander and yeah. start the the Wilson, Starsky and Hutch, Twenty One Jump Street, all that kind of stuff. It's like cool. Yeah. So you kind of shoot it like a comedy rather than like an actual action horror like, yeah, comedy exactly. film. And that's mm. what it feels like. You're you're totally right. Like the Ken Jong thing in there is basically the things that he does in every comedy in the last like 10 years like oh look yeah. funny <laughs> improv guy stick him in and he's oh look it's funny asian guy in the background he's the neighbor he's the the sister's best friend or whatever it is that to that typical kind of bullshit and it really feels like mm. one of those off the shelf recent comedies where it's just like oh look it's the harold and kumar but not harold and kumar or, oh it's the that Seth Rogen one that went straight to some streaming service nobody's heard of and all this kind of stuff. Like <laughs> those comedies that don't make a splash, the things that aren't Anchorman and 40 year old Virgin back in the like 2000s, mm. the straight to streaming versions of that that are happening these days. Like that's the kind of stuff Barry Peterson does. It's just like okay looking comedies. Whereas you compare that to somebody like, I'm just going to say his last name, Javier. Mm. He shoots some amazing looking movies. Yeah. And mm. has like shot the road we talked that's that's where we talked about him i've just, mm, sorry, I just looked it, at his yeah. list it was him working with john hillco on the road mm -hmm. what an incredible distinct fascinating looking movie and it's brilliantly shot mm. and goosebumps looks really good it's really well shot like even mm. you mentioned the reveal of the giant praying mantis they managed to hide like a 50 foot tall praying mantis that is right <laughs> in front of the camera because it keeps coming into the headlights and you're like, Oh, mm. I don't remember that. And it's like, mm. whoop, and then this giant head appears. They make the effort to like cleverly reveal it and use lighting. And mm. the CGI mm. is believable enough that it all works with the lighting and all that kind mm. of stuff. I mean, the man has a range and he's got a history with horror and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's the thing. It, it, um, it comes back to that sin sincerity. I think it comes back to that sincerity thing where where the first film is shot like a a kind a, a, a genre mashup. It's a horror, it's an action, it's an adventure with some comedy thrown in there. Whereas the second film just feels like it it's just that generic comedy look of light it quickly, get it shot, like yeah. we 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 on to the next setup, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really matter how these films look because the kids aren't going to care. Um and there's no there's there's so much there's there's so little thought put into it um and it 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 shows you know you can tell mm -hmm. i must admit though uh, to, to just draw back something we mentioned earlier um a lot of fear in me this is my first pitch of the season um i don't play baseball <laughs> and uh it feels it's, it's very much like oh everyone's like oh shit i can't wait to see what tim does with this matt's on it oh fuck <laughs> He's gonna ruin it. So I, I, I must admit, and also I, I actually like Goosebumps a lot in terms of the first film, the twenty fifteen film. I don't think it needs a sequel at all. I don't think there's a lot of things you can do with it. Um, but again, I try to maintain a lot of the humor and the self aware nonsense and lots of really interesting bits and pieces to make it like a nineties film, effectively. So we'll see. We'll see how I've got on with it. Of course, we have to cover something else first before we get to fixing the uh, Goosebumps sequel. If you like R.L. Stein, you must love R.L. Shine. Am I right? Nothing says shiny like <laughs> shiny teeth. Christ. Gotta love shiny teeth, everybody. And don't worry, we've got your back. Because we're sponsored today by Bruch. Bruch is an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth. With powerful sonic technology and ultra gentle bristles, the Bruch redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. It's like that feeling when you just leave the dentist, you know, fresh, whole mouth clean every single day. Our listeners get 15% off their total purchase with code POD15. Follow the link in the show notes and enter the code POD15 to get your exclusive discount and upgrade your oral care routine. Make yourself R.L. Shine. <laughs> Try Bruch and you won't be able to stop using the word mouthfeel <laughs> and you'll lose all of your friends as a result. Mm, but mouthfeel. God damn, your teeth is going to be clean. They're going to feel defined. So it's that time again, ladies and gentlemen. Rotten Tomatoes. Were they cruel or were they kind? There's no flounce this week. There's no crazy extra things. It's just literally goosebumps, goosebumps two, and just the Rotten Tomatoes, not the audience. Just two things, nice and quick, nice and simple. So, Jack and Tim, goosebumps. What are you thinking? I'm gonna come to Tim first. I think it did pretty well because I think critics, people who watch enough films are going to recognise when a kid's film is is slightly better than the average kid's film. Um, sure. and, and so, and I think most, you know, most critics, especially when it comes to kid's film, tend to grade on a curve, so to speak. Um, and so, you know, and again, as we always say, it's not whether it's good or, or how good or bad it is. It's simply whether it gets above a six out of 10 That's or equivalent true. ranking. Yep. Acceptable. So Yes, I'm going to say I'm going to say this gets an 
I'm going to go big. I'm going to say 85% fresh. Oh, wow, okay. Ooh. Jack, what about you? I think you're totally right, Tim, that it matters that this is the tomatometer we're talking about here because this is a pretty inoffensive movie. Mm. I think it's difficult to score this film badly because it is competent, it does what it needs to do, and, mm. like I said, surprised us with how good it was. I think a lot of people would find it difficult to be like, it's a three out of ten. It's a piece of shit. Mm. So I'd imagine there's a lot of like sixes and sevens, but they mm-hmm. count as a positive score. So yeah. yeah. Depends how much you hate even, Jack Black. Well, even people well, yeah, who hate quite. Jack Black shtick, he's not really doing the traditional Jack Black stuff. He's quite tamped down in this. He does so feel different, even, yeah. Even to that regard, like mm. people who are like, Oh, I can't stand high fidelity because of Jack Black just Blipping and blopping all over the place. They're wrong. <laughs> a, they're wrong. Uh, and B, they they wouldn't they wouldn't be offended by this. It wouldn't be the film it is without all that blipping and blopping. Um, exactly. I uh, I'm gonna I instantly had a figure in my head, and then you overshot my figure, Tim. And now I feel a bit Ooh. hesitant. I was gonna say seventy five, and I'll I'll stick with that for argument's sake. Okay, and. Coming back to Tim for Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween. I mean, it's not. It's <laughs> a not haunted great. Halloween. <laughs> it's, um, again, you know, kids' films do tend to be great on a curve, so I think there, there will be some critics out there who are just like, it's fine. Um, I would imagine if we managed to find some aggregate score, a Metacritic or whatever, it would be significantly lower. But on a purely rotten tomato scale, mm. 45 i think okay i think yeah uh, uh, not not quite the standard uh sequelizers 50 point drop <laughs> uh but but close sure that's exactly where i come in <laughs> classic sequelizers drop 50 points less please mr stockton 75 down to 25 it's quite the drop because i think that film is garbage <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. But I, I have a feeling a lot of the reviews will be along similar lines to us of like, it does everything wrong that the first film did right and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally, I can, I can picture the headlines in my head. Doesn't quite mm. capture the magic, the spooky magic of the first one and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Lackluster loses its creepy edge, that kind of fucking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Precisely. Okay. Um, just doing some quick tabulations, by which I mean maths. Uh, it means it might be close, listeners, potentially. No one's one. Good. Because there's only two. So, you know. Uh, Tim got one and Jack got one, basically. Oh, interesting. This is, this is quite interesting to me. The first Goosebumps movie has 78. Oh. A li- little lower oh. than I'd expect, if I'm honest. Yeah, like um, I said, when I thought of 75. And then Tim went 85. I thought, oh, shit, Tim's probably right. Mm. <laughs> that would make sense. <laughs> yeah, I think the only critique I could sort of, I was sort of, you know, uh, gleaning the um, general critical response. And there seems to be twofold. From the sort of top critics, i.e., you know, the people writing for established papers and, and, and websites mm. and things, there's a lot of, this is good. This is surprisingly good. 
And then you get some very interesting niche reviews from horror people and stuff saying they didn't include all the best books and they didn't uh, do this. And you know what? It's derivative. I forgot and, my favorite when I was a kid. Yeah. And and it's the whole, oh, it's very predictable. It's like, well, it's a, it's a family film, dude. It's, well, you know, I I knew it was coming and therefore, you know, it's like, yeah, because you apparently read all these books. So I think that's where that sort of element came in. Um, and the sequel, Gross, uh, Goosebumps 2, Haunts Halloween, was 47%. Which is uh, okay. quite generous, but also it's it's competent enough. I guess and it's mm. forgettable. It's not offensive enough to be dipping that much. It's it's not a son of the mask oh, by no, any stretch. No. Uh, the the golden standard of bad sequels we will forever <laughs> yes. reference on this show. Most definitely. We should point out, however, and I wasn't going to even get, guess these, but I will tell you these: the audience scores on uh, on Rotten Tomatoes paint a very different picture. Interesting. Ooh. Goosebumps won 62%. Really? That seems low. That huh. is odd, isn't it? I don't get that. Mm. I think that's a lot of the, ah, it's not my film, it's not yeah. what I expected. Yeah. I love the more books. of those kind of people, yeah, exactly. It's the whole, uh, it, it's again, without being uh, insulting, and this we're going to come on to us when we, you know, behind the scenes, as I say, of how we write these things and why we do these, because we have our own personal backgrounds in, in writing and such like that and, and, and character development, etc. People just say, well, I like this. Can I not make it like that? It's like, you've clearly never written anything because <laughs> no, you can't just do that. It's like, oh, well, I, I, I love the show as a kid. No. and I, w- I would do this. I don't like, know. Some, no. Sometimes I just put Spider-Man in a Blade movie for no reason. I can just do all <laughs> that. That's actually valid, but the public love that. So, you know, <laughs> the people demand it more. But... The People s- love this Spider-Man character. Can't get enough of him. <laughs> well, don't worry. He's turned up in my Goosebumps page. <laughs> <laughs> he's not. Um, Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween, audience score 37. So yeah, low, but but not as as but I'd expected. It's smaller. Very, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, very strange. Um, so yeah, there you go. That's, that's just the overview of, of as always, mm. if you're new to the show, we know how Rotten Tomatoes works. We know it's completely invalid. We know the numbers change all the fucking time. And we know that it's not an actual aggregate score. We know. It's just a nice little fun thing we do. And we get to talk about it and how we, as we just did, we get to to, to almost analyze the public response in a, in a capacity, i.e. those who talk the fucking loudest. So <laughs> yeah, with that, it's my job to fix it, and it was a very, very daunting task. I'm not going to lie. Um, would you like to hear what I did, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah, yes, please, yes. Matthew. Are we the ladies <laughs> and gentlemen? I don't know. Well, that's the audience, and also you're here to be their surrogate, so you can say yes. Certainly. Consent is given. Good. I will say this right out of the gate. Jack Black needed to come back. Mm. Agreed. I, I think this is almost the biggest challenge you have because he has a very, very busy. busy couple of years. He's a busy, yep. easy, busy boy. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't done a, you know, coronavirus happens and then goes away, um, or anything <laughs> like that at all. So I haven't done as I've done previously. Thinking, oh, is this? I have actually done something else. I have had Jack Black turn down a script, basically. Oh, interesting. I've had him say, "Huh, House with the Clockless Walls." Too close to Goosebumps. I won't do it. Yeah, I'd rather do a good sequels to Goosebumps, right? Instead of doing a knockoff thing that's not quite Goosebumps. Yeah, bringing the cast back, doing the thing. Uh, had to get a different director, unfortunately, because of the whole Detective Pikachu thing. Because I think, um, yeah, bring bringing back 
the no, director made take complete I couldn't. Yeah, well, yeah it's, good. it's a great film, so I'm, I have no problem. Oh, that's great. It's a decent film. I have no problem with that. <laughs> it's a weird it's fucking film. <laughs> it, it's a film. Um, it's Pokemon. But I brought Demplay. someone else in. Um, so the film is released in 2019. There will be some issues here. So a year, a year later than the sequel in real life, which is mm-hmm. 2018. So Black isn't working on any Jumanji stuff, in theory, and he's not working on House with a Clock on Its Walls. They get someone else in to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get the actual R.L. Stein. Now, <laughs> so impressed by his cameo in <laughs> Transformative film. experience. Now, yeah. here's the thing. I was actually very tempted because the House of the Clock and its Walls, I assume you guys haven't seen it. You are correct. I have sir. not. It's on my list because I do think it looks reasonably fun. It's, it's fine. It's perfectly Kate fine. in it yeah. playing a witchy wizard. Salty witchy wizard, yeah. It's, it's actually genuinely fine. It's not bad at all. Um, mm-hmm. It's weird because it's Eli Roth and like, wow, he's actually competent with this. And again, the horror angle makes it actually quite good when it used to be like creepy and dark. Mm. Um, it's, it's not good. But it's 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 all right. Mm. Um, and I thought to myself, it's not really because it's another mm, kids book. But it it's is not one that I had ever heard of. I think no, it's, it's much bigger in America. Easily, yeah. It's like it's like stuff like the Giving Tree, which to Americans are like, oh, it's such a classic, and everyone here is like, not ever What's really the heard one of with that. Harrison Ford and the dog, Call of the Wild. Yeah, I yeah. Can that. And, oh. and that's like a huge, huge thing in America. I'm like, oh, mm. c- cool. Anyway, um, the point is, I was very tempted to bring in Eli Roth, actually, and I thought, yeah, interesting, be fine. And do Hostel 5, Goosebumps. <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't in the end. I went, again, I very much pitched this as a sort of 90s slash early 2000s kind of um, not talking down to kids kind of darkness and very interesting visuals. So I brought in Brad Silberling. Brad Silberling did Casper, the, the mm. live action one with... Um, Christina Ricci. A friendly ghost. Mm-hmm. A series of unfortunate events, the film version with Jim Carrey. Mm. Okay. And very recently, uh, Land of the Lost. Also, not very recently. That was like 2007. It's like a That's decade ago. That's pretty fucking recent, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Time has no meaning in a pandemic. Um, but admittedly, uh, he also did City of Angels, which is, by the way, not appropriate for the thing we're doing here, but it's just like... And, eh. and <laughs> not the crow City of Angels. No, just, no, he did just, just City of Angel Angels. Bollocks. It's a different film. Yeah, <laughs> he did a film called An Ordinary Man with Ben Kingsley, fairly recently, in 2017, and it's director video, and I haven't seen it. And meh, it's got um, Peter Serafinowicz in it. Oh, that's always good. There you go. In a you know in a drama thriller. Um, but yes, so so basically, I think he has a he's got enough clout in terms of like. You've done well with these things. Come back and do mm. one more in 2019. I think it'll be good. Uh, we're bringing mm. back some main principal cast of Zach Champ, Hannah, and R.L. Stein, being Dylan Minette, Ryan Lee, Adair Rush, and Jack Black. Okay, so new cast. Clarissa, played by Isla Fisher. From Now You See ah, Me. Ah, nice. Not from the sequel. Uh, Nocturnal <laughs> Animals, Tag, and she goes on to be in Blythe Spirit after this so yeah mm-hmm. ghosty stuff um old man <laughs> old man is Brilliant. played by 
Kyle Gass, um, who yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. So people like there's two parts of the audience at the minute. You got people like who? I'm like, well, he's in Kung Fu Panda and Year One and Beverly Hills Chihuahua Three Viva La Fiesta. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you cast him because of Beverly Hills Chihuahua Three, of course. Yeah, that's exactly. why I went. Yes, it's my favorite movie. <laughs> But yeah, I, people always say I talk about X Machina, I talk about Dread, and talk about <laughs> Beverly Hills Chihuahua Three, and I just can't. Which is directed by it. Denis Villeneuve. Um, <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> so basically, um, Carl Gas is the other half of Tenacious D, which is a band that Jack Black has, and he's also an actor and does various bit pieces and things, and he's actually very, very funny. Um, and I have a cameo of Doodle, played by Seth Green. Um, I like tons of stuff. And the things I wrote down was Krampus, the Lego Batman movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And then after this, he goes into being Godzilla, King of the Monsters, as I think maybe the voice of Rodan. Anyway, the point is. Correct, yes. <laughs> is it, yeah. Yeah. So basically. Yeah, you might actually the, the, know him from like Voice of Chris on Family Guy and Robot Chicken, everything. Or from Buffy the Vampire Stop, Stop, Buffy the Scott Vampire Evil. Stop helping them. They have to give. If you're wondering where the fuck is he in Guardians of the Galaxy, he is the voice of Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. Correct. There we go. So yes, um, so a very small additional cast that I'm adding here, um, and I'm calling it Goosebumps: The Second Chapter. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. It it will make hopefully sense considering what the story is. Interesting. Um, took a couple of gambles with this one, so we'll see how it goes. So, so to touch on the title there for a second, I've mentioned please, it a couple of please. times already on the show. I think Haunted Halloween is a fucking terrible subtitle for this sequel. Because obviously Halloween is haunted. It's fucking Halloween. <laughs> That's like a regular saying, Halloween. Goosebumps, a very merry Christmas. You know, brilliant. Uh, but see, that is something they do all the time. <laughs> Exactly. A festive shit. Christmas as opposed to what? <laughs> exactly. It, fe- yeah, yeah. it feels very Disney Channel original movie. Yeah, yeah. Which 100%. this should have more ambition than. Um, A diabetic 100%. Easter. Yeah. For, for what the second film is, I think there is literally a book called like Revenge of the Living Dummy or Slappy's Revenge or something like sure, that. Sure, sure. Call it that. Because yeah. he's Halloween, the main character. Makes sense. He's he is such a focus in the second film. I was amazed that it's not called Return of Slappy, Slappy's Revenge, mm. Revenge of the Living Dummy, whatever. Mm. Just Night of the Living Dummy doesn't matter. Yeah. He's the yeah. main. He has more screen time mm. than any of the fucking humans in that movie. <laughs> Call it Haunted Halloween. It's like oh, so lazy. It's just sounds yeah. like coming coming from me as a marketing person in my day job it sounds just like seo bullshit that doesn't actually do anything mm, yeah oh yes well people are going to be searching halloween so we'll we'll call it halloween because because it's cause it's spooky isn't it spooks mm, guys you got the spookins uh it was anyway, released at mu- halloween mu- as well to much be fair. Better, much better yeah it was yeah yeah much better title Matt. good choice thank you thank you if we're ready i'll kick us off the film opens on a bespectacled older man coming home. As he enters his house, he picks up the mail and sits down in his study. Leafing through the generic mail of various bills and coupons, he opens an ornately gilded envelope. Inside, we see an invitation to a horror writer's symposium. Chuckling to himself, the man puts the invitation in the waste paper basket. Is that, is that Kyle Gass? That is Kyle Gass. Amazing. 
Following a simple title card, the story picks up where the first Goosebumps film ended. Finally, thank you, Matthew. <laughs> with R.L. Stein seeing the words The Invisible Boy's Revenge appearing on his typewriter. Stein interrupts Zack, Hannah, and Champ's class, seemingly fighting himself. Because <laughs> Jack, funny enough, Jack Black also voices the invisible boy. So it would yes. be, ah, yeah. uh, ah, ah, uh, in Jack Black's voice. So that, that's mm-hmm. great. Did I can see up? Jack Black doing that Throw himself physicality. Very oh, well. definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine him doing a Fight Club style thing where he's just like <laughs> himself in the face and stuff. Mm-hmm. But funny instead of kind of weird and harrowing. The teacher asks if Stein is all right, and he confirms he's just He's just fine, but needs the assistance of a few students. Before he can finish, he's dragged into the corridor by an unseen force. Aware of what is likely going on, Zack, Hannah and Champ excuse themselves and follow. In the corridor, the group try to fight the invisible foe while asking how he managed to escape. Hannah spies a nearby fire extinguisher and coats Brent Green, the invisible boy, making it easier to apprehend him. Stein worries if any more of his creations manage to avoid imprisonment, but Champ stops them. Questioning the holdup, Zack says let's go, but Champ has an issue with the fact that this all seems very convenient, like poorly written sequel territory. (laughs) (laughs) He goes further and notes how much older they all look, except for Stein, who looks the same. Stein writes this off as teenage growth spurts, but Hannah agrees something isn't right. (laughs) Interesting. Mm. All gone very meta. Yep. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Brace yourself, son. All of a sudden, the group is in Stein's study late at night. Looking around, they ask each other how they even got there. Stein jokes that, well, obviously, we were in the school hallway, and then we... we... but can't explain it. The group head outside and see the giant stone beast from deep in the jungle of doom. It's a book. Rising high into the night sky. Champ keeps talking about sequels and uses the giant monster as an example. I'm telling you, sequels, you need bigger bad guys, and this is about as big as it gets. The group get into Stein's car and desperately drive away, but each footfall of the giant monster covers a huge distance. Zack asks Stein how they would ever beat something so big, but before he can answer, they find themselves mysteriously in a swamp as the sun is rising. So you're, you're on a sequel podcast, right, Matt? And you're, writing, you're <laughs> writing a film that is meta and also talking meta-ly <laughs> about sequels. You're like three layers of meta there. I'm loving it. Son, son, we haven't even fucking started yet. It's, this is deep. This is deep already. This yeah, is inception. Nolan, oh, did I mention that Nolan directed it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I like, I like Silverling and Fine, but I feel like we need to, I mentioned we need some vision. We need an auteur on board. We need someone who's got amazing yeah. visual style and has no idea how people work. <laughs> <laughs> and who has, as, as Tim rightly said, the most boring dreams. So that would be, that would be great. Mm. Anyway. The swamp bubbles and an army of swamp monsters from How to Kill a Monster rise from the depths and give chase. The chase is thrilling and Zack is able to use a matchbook to fling lit matches at the bubbling gases. Small fireballs are enough to confuse and discombobulate the swamp creatures, allowing the group time to hide beneath a fallen tree. Hannah asks where Zack got the matches and he admits he doesn't know. He feels like he always had them, but that doesn't make sense. The teens turn to Stein, who confesses he doesn't understand either, but they need to safely get back home. The events magically reset, and Stein is once again looking at the cabinet as the (laughs) typewriter magically types out the Invisible Girl's Revenge. Mm. Notice a change Mm. there. Once again, Stein interrupts the class and asks for the students' help, and once again they fight in the hallway, 
before Hannah uses the fire extinguisher to apprehend their attacker. Stein says that Brenda Green must have somehow avoided imprisonment. Champ asks, What do you mean Brenda? Don't you mean Brent, the invisible boy? Stein comes to his senses and realises this is wrong. In that moment, fireballs start to rain down from the sky and coat the town of Madison in flame. Stein ominously asks, What is going on here? Taking refuge back at Stein's house, they find a woman going through a door beneath the staircase to the cellar. Hannah whispers, I didn't know we had a cellar, but a confused Stein whispers back, We don't. The group follow the mysterious lady down into a stone crypt beneath the house, where she is standing before a blank wall. Waving her hands, glowing runes appear and conjure a door. Stepping through, the house begins to shake, and we see a fireball hurtling toward them. The group agrees, they should go through the portal, as wherever it is on the other side is better than being incinerated. Our heroes crash through a storage closet and into a high street bookstore. Straightening themselves up, they try to blend in. I assume they don't dress as Halloween monsters, assisted by Ken <laughs> Jong this time. They dress like teenagers. Oh, including Jack Black. Yeah. <laughs> at, at the counter, at the counter, a tall, elegant woman with long black hair is making inquiries before she is handed a flyer. Stein finally recognizes her as Clarissa from the Be Careful What You Wish For book. Mm. Sensing their presence, Clarissa turns to her pursuers, and they tell her she has to come back with them. Clarissa laughs and says, Now you know what it feels like to be on the other side of the page. But this doesn't make sense to them, so Stein demands to know what her plan is. Clarissa happily explains her plan is to unleash monsters on the town of Madison, causing destruction, chaos and mayhem. Champ again mutters that this is such a bad sequel narrative that it's even stealing from the plot of the first story. Clarissa says she has no use for Stein's childish monsters, but is after a real horror writer's creation. <laughs> referencing the flyer in her hand. Stein immediately takes umbrage with this. Clarissa says not to look so sad and offers a wish. Chap remembers the book, Be Careful What You Wish For, and that wishes never go the way you want, but Zach has already shouted, if you think we'll fall for that, you're incredibly stupid. Clarissa smirks and says, good enough, before exiting the store. Thundering waves of water begin to flood the bookstore, and from the water, a giant tentacle appears, latching onto customers and flinging them around. The group band together to defeat the giant squid, and with that, the water starts to pour away onto the streets. Tired and battered, Hannah asks, Giant squid? As the staff and customers run screaming into the street, Stein rolls his eyes and says, Incredible. You wrote a pun, Matthew. Uh, keep going. Never underestimate the power of a bad pun. There it is. Unsure what to do next, <laughs> one of R.L. Stein's books floats past. Picking it up, they're surprised to see the picture doesn't resemble R.L. Stein, but the older man from the start of the film. The aforementioned horror writer's event is underway, but is broken up as thorny bramble branches break through the walls and cause chaos. Clarissa enters the room and marches to the head table on the stage. Sat at said table are Stephen King, Jonathan Mowbray, Clive Barker, and Milo Carbia. <laughs> Clarissa introduces herself and invites them to unleash real horror on the world. Naturally, the four authors strongly reject this, but she binds them in brambles and takes them anyway. Zack, Hannah, Champ and Stein arrive at a house which the bookstore employees said belonged to the Goosebumps author. Walking up to the door and ringing the doorbell, the man from the start of the movie, Cargas, answers but doesn't recognise any of them. Stein holds up the soggy book and accuses the man of being an imposter in the very Jack Blackie kind of way. 
<laughs> the owner of the house confirms he is indeed R.L. Stein and tries to close the door before the, calling the cops. The group force their way inside and begin telling the story. And the more they explain, the more the man starts to believe them and puts his phone away. Everyone is sitting awkwardly staring at each other before Zach breaks the silence, asking why Stein Prime. <laughs> I'm calling him Stein Prime from now on because there's two Steins. It's very confusing. So is that that's Stein that's Prime Kyle Gass. is Kyle Gas, the old man. Okay. Oh, interesting. I would have assumed Jack Black. <laughs> mm. Nope. Why Stein Stein real. Prime, aka KG, mm-hmm. would create such a horrific horrific experiences for people to endure. Stein Prime explains he leads a dull life, but these characters learn and grow and go on adventures and help children who may be frightened themselves, highlighting that they can be strong too. Champ comments, and you made yourself this cackling cliche bad guy, gesturing towards Stein, who gives a very theoretical, I am no villain. Stein Prime sighs and admits, I saw myself as a bit of Vincent Price, but I guess this is a hybrid of the two of us. Hannah asks about the erratic events from earlier. And while Stein Prime doesn't know exactly, he has become frustrated writing Goosebumps books and wrote their previous adventure as a sort of send-off, but now he wants to bring it all to a close. Hannah makes the connection between Stein Prime feeling done with his creations and the literal world-ending events feeling like unfinished drafts. Stein then surmises all they have to do is write out Clarissa, but he finds that he has no power in this world. What's worse, seemingly neither does Stein Prime explain that he doesn't have a supernatural typewriter, he has a publisher. Champ (laughs) Champ assumes Stein Prime can simply draw up a plan to follow, like one of his narratives, but he genuinely doesn't know. The author confesses he usually has the kids use their teenage wiles to get out of it. Stein mutters, some author you are. Figuring they have to stop Clarissa somehow, they use Stein Prime's knowledge of the character to deduce where she might go. The story takes us to an abandoned sawmill in the middle of a dense forest. Clarissa is listening to the four kidnapped authors debating her existence before she admonishes them and exits the room. At the front of the mill, Clarissa sees Stein Prime. She recognises him and asks how he found her. He references the woods and explains that Clarissa is a witch. Her story was always going to end in the woods. Clarissa rolls her eyes and chastises Stein Prime for writing her so generically. While distracted, the teens release the authors, but are given away by Stein, who comically squares off against King. Goddamn Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> King admits that he likes the Goosebumps books, but when Barker pipes up that he isn't a fan, Stein snaps, Can it, Barker? <laughs> <laughs> I assume these are the actual authors in Cameo. Oh, it's, it is, yes, yeah, yeah. indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just reminded me of the, uh, not that I'm a big Family Guy fan, but the bit where it's like, you know, one of their typical flashback sure. things where Brian's driving a car and hits hits someone at the side of the road and stops and goes, oh, my God, are you Stephen King? And he goes, no, no, I'm Dean Kuntz. Yeah. And so Brian just backs over <laughs> yeah, and drives right, over him a over few him more again. times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Clarissa storms into the mill and catches the leads in the act. Stein shouts at Stein Prime for getting them into this mess but we learn that Stein Prime didn't write Clarissa coming through. That seemingly happened on its own. Everyone is confused by this development, and the horror author discuss the implications of their respective creations acting with their own willpower after a certain point. Clarissa summons Brambles to seize everyone before continuing with her plan. Turning to Maybury, she asks, don't you wish you could meet your creations? But Maybury delivers a very deadpan, nope. Frustrated but undeterred, <laughs> Clarissa asks the same of Clyde Barker, who shrugs his shoulders and says, eh, sure. 
everyone looks at him before he realizes what he's done and Stein shouts, Damn it, Barker! <laughs> like the running joke of dunking on Clive Buck. <laughs> a whirlwind of energy crackles through the room as the brambles lower everyone. Clarissa cackles before the mill descends into darkness. Stein whispers, Barker, what have you done? I would have expected this of King, but not of you! Stephen King lets out a protest. Out of the darkness, a deep and chilling voice rings out. Barker half smiles and quietly admits, I said I'd like to meet my creations. I didn't say anyone else would. The camera raises from the floor to reveal, walking slowly out of the pitch towards Clarissa, a tall man in a black leather smock with nails in his white bald head. Pinhead, played by Doug Bradley, <laughs> opens a box, and as he does so, Clarissa is drawn into it. What the fuck, man? <laughs> this is Hello. a children's film. I have, I'll explain myself later. The group are left stunned. <laughs> One knows how they no, feel. No shit. Worried, yeah. what, worried what will happen next. But as the Cenobite surveys the room, <laughs> <laughs> he gestures towards a circular saw and asks if he can have it. Everyone quietly nods and the figure steps back into the shadows before the room returns to normal. Hannah asks what will happen to Clarissa. Stein pauses and looks awkwardly at Barker before telling his daughter to ask him again when she is much older. The full horror writers asked why Stein Prime didn't attend the symposium and he responds he didn't really feel he belonged in their company, but will do in future, offering the authors a lift home. Before heading out, Stein Prime is approached by his creations and Zach hands over a small piece of paper. He explains that the group have come up with a list of ideas for simple stories that could give them all normal lives without monsters and magic. Stein Prime smiles and tells him to go live those stories. He surmises that much as he didn't have control over Clarissa, he has little control over them and they no longer need an author to guide them. As the car drives away with the authors discussing how they would have written this story differently, the leads have already disappeared. The events return to the start of the movie once more, with R.L. Stein passing his typewriter. But nothing happens. Smiling, he makes his way to his next class. Meanwhile, Zack, Hannah and Champ are in class, as Champ starts to doodle in a notebook. Elsewhere, the doodle pops into existence, played by Seth Green, and asks, <laughs> What am I? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, man? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the most what the fuck thing you've ever written on sequel. Really? <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> so my theory, completely Go way ahead. off. I had I had uh, two yeah, theories. Yeah. Go ahead. The resetting at the beginning. Yeah. I thought was R. L. Stein. He had written a choose your own adventure and it was coming to life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was and it was repeating because like every mm. time they die, oh, they were hit by a meteorite. You it reset. You, you killed it. Turn yeah, back yeah. to page five and it would reset mm. again. Sure, sure. That was my initial theory. Completely way off. And you were like, no, fuck it, it's Pinhead. <laughs> 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 so I guess my yes. first question is, go ahead. How on earth are you justifying having Pinhead in a kids' <laughs> in a film in twenty nineteen? When was the last time Pinhead was relevant, first of all? Okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah. how on earth do you get him in a children's film? And even if you do pull it off, you are going to result in a generation of <laughs> traumatized children. Oh, watch this. It's got it's got it's got a mummy and a werewolf and a Frankenstein and a 
Why has that man got pins in his head? <laughs> okay, so here's my response. Uh, and it's a very honest response. Uh, fuck you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I genuinely, because I was, I was debating about this in my head. I wanted to have an external force come in and, and it's like, you know, have another, another horror author's uh, creations um, taking down Clarissa. Uh, it was just a case of who it would end up being. And the problem with horror authors is that none of them will be recognizable to kids. And that's not necessarily a problem because necessarily going, I mean, some of the people going to see the Goosebumps film have probably also have read no, um, what you call it, uh, Goosebumps book at all. They can just appreciate it's a monster. Now, the thing, the reason I went with Pinhead specifically is partly the same reason with, or something that happened with the Universal Monsters. It's like the Universal Monsters are terrifying. To see them is to strike fear into kids, blah, 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 anybody, terrifying. And then they're fucking, you know, the mummy and Abbott and the Costello. It's just the, the framing and how you light it and how you project it. Now, in addition to that, the things that we grew up with as kids, like Freddy Krueger and Jason and Michael Myers and arguably Pinhead and other Cenobites and stuff, aren't as scary as we think they are. Or more importantly, as scary as we thought they were when we were kids. Yes, okay. I know, I know you're both making faces like a guy with fucking <laughs> nails we're, we're in his face. We're both doing the, I don't know how to describe that, the, the skeptical face. The, I, don't, I don't know about <laughs> I that, I disagree. Face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, again, it, it's, it, this film's going to be rated like PG or 12 or some shit. And I'm like, you, you'd see more terrifying shit in a Marvel film or a DC film as rated 12. So I don't think Pinhead is that much of a stretch visually. And it's going to be played semi-comically in terms of what it is. It's not literally... And even then, again, what Pinhead is is not as terrifying as people think. Um, and I'm not pitching this to, like, fucking seven-year-olds. I mean, yes, okay, seven-year-olds might watch the Goosebumps sequel. Who knows? But the first one didn't... Yes, I mean, we've had, you know, like, with the earlier fights, we've had things that are... Um, what you call it? Uh, Semi-comical and things. In the same way they got the gnomes in the first film, which they then just repeat again with gummy bears in the sequel. Um, but I think like anything in those films, there's so much going on that a kid's going to be scared of at least one thing. Like, oh shit, well, fuck that big mantis. That's terrifying. Or no, bugger that. I'm not looking at that. That's, that, that's, that's creeping me out. Um, in, in the same way that, you know, as you say, Cabin in the Woods, they're, they're all terrifying. Even like the unicorn, which shouldn't be funny, is it was or shouldn't be scary. <laughs> it's funny and terrifying. I don't think it's that much of a stretch to put something that's actually... 30 odd years old and it's it's not as strike as it used to be i mean i'm pretty sure it's been in the simpsons like three times or something but maybe i should have gone with like i don't know Candyman or something as someone as someone who was freaked out by the hellraiser poster when he was a child in uh, their lo in yeah. his local video store i would disagree i think the pinhead remains quite a disturbing image i think you would have a better it would work better yeah. for what you're aiming for sure sure if you had wes craven at there have it be not just horror literature but horror in general mm. because i think freddy krueger you can kind of as long as you don't go super yeah. bernie face you can you can make that less evident and then he's just a dude in a hat he's he's much more iconic than pinhead mm. to the general population sure, sure, sure. i know Pin, pinhead is a very iconic looking character mm. but he's not as widely known as freddy krueger yeah. and then i think kids can better understand of like oh he's a creepy guy and he's got like a a spiky hand type thing mm. uh and he's you know he's and, and he's a bit more of a cartoonish figure as well certainly by the sure. end of well the, again the... i i don't know because i'm not just open because again i've mm. i'm i'm the opposite to you tim i found the idea of freddy krueger as a kid terrifying because of the dream thing and the fact he was 
as we later found out, a big old pedo. Mm. <laughs> um, so putting a big old pedo <laughs> with knife hands in the film, I thought, mm. but I, I, I get what you're saying though. I think I think you're right. I think there's something because again, the lumbering monsters of the past become family guy jokes of the future yeah precisely I mean, <laughs> yeah. even like zombies which again was like oh it's visceral torn apart things like that. that's an adversary in a fucking call of duty game there's a thing from uh, it's, uh i think he's the guy who did gravity falls yeah where uh he would they would get feedback from the studio and it's like oh you know um so and so isn't uh isn't wearing a seatbelt when he fires uh the rocket launcher while they're driving in the car can you make sure he's got a seatbelt on uh and it's and it's like, <laughs> how is that okay when the rocket launcher is fine? Exactly. Or how is that yeah. not okay when the rocket launcher is fine? And the the answer is is because a kid can't get hold of a rocket launcher. Oh but yeah. But they yeah. can ride around in a car without a seatbelt on. Mm. And I think the thing is is that the reason that one of the reasons that say a studio or standards and practices mm. or whatever would have problems with Pinhead is because kids might see it kids and put go pins in their <laughs> put pins in their face. <laughs> Blah, fuck that! No, I think that. I mean, I, I, they might I would chop say chop off their hands a... and replace them with gardening. Nah, tools. Bu- yeah, bugger that. <laughs> I, I think you're. I, I think the more likely thing is like, well, they might recognize the character, go watch a Hellraiser film, and we get in trouble. That that much I would I would agree with that. But yeah, um, but um, and the first Hellraiser film came out in what 1987. Like, it's what about what's striking, and terrifying, and I don't mind substituting out something else for something entirely different. Um, the the Nothing. Appro- I mean, Stephen King. He's like, well, we'll just use, you know, Pennywise. Problem solved. Um, mm. We'll fucking get an awful CGI Tim Curry. Um, <laughs> and it's like, again, because this will be the same year that it Chapter Two comes out. Do we get uh, Bill Skarsgård to come in? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like no. Um, yeah. So again, I I don't mind. I, I did I kind of didn't want it to be just King stuff. Um, mm. But Barker stuff gets very. Ugh, very quickly. Um, but I thought ah, that might, might, might work. <laughs> it's incredibly bold, Matt. Yeah, that's fair. I don't think that ending works. It didn't make sense to me when I was reading it. I was confused reading it. I was like, so did he create Clarissa? But Clarissa's already an, an R.L. Stein character from mm. the other book. And Clar- Clarissa literally used the wish to conjure him into existence. So surely she would have power over him. How does Clarissa have the power to do that? if she has magic that was granted by other Stein, not Stein Prime, or is she written by Stein Prime and she's a Stein Prime creation, so therefore she has the powers? Why is Stein Prime... If 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 Jack Blackstein can create things with his books... I have so many... It's the same question over again, but it's like reworded in a million different ways. I don't understand, Matthew. I'm confused, and I'm a 30-year-old man. <laughs> okay. R.L. Stein played by Carl Gass, creates effectively everything. He writes the Goosebumps books, they are published, etc, etc, etc. He then writes the events of the previous Goosebumps film and puts himself in there as a big send-off to like, I'm done with this thing now, but I've got a nice little book where I reference all the stuff. And in that, he talks about, oh, in my book, I'm R.L. Stein in the book, me, this creation, i.e. the Jack Black character, and I write all my books and I lock them away, otherwise they come out. And that's all, you know, the premise of the story, right? One of the books which again is a Goosebumps book, which has the character Clarissa, who is a witch of sorts. Um, and she then leaves that universe and steps into the universe of the Prime, the Carl Gas 
who creates everything, right? And that's partly the whole, like, it's a sort of self-defense of, like, everything is falling apart because he doesn't want it anymore, and it's all ending, and it's coming to an end. It's like, right, well, we'll just step out of this existence. We'll just, yeah. Um, and in doing so, they follow through, blah, blah, blah. Um, then to answer a question about the whole Barker business, she grants this wish. She goes, like, okay, would you want to bring someone? Because she wants to create more of this, this army. You know, again, something that happens in the previous film and also in the sequel. I want to just create an army and, and take over the do unleash real horror. But she's not really a character that understands what, in inverted commas, adult or real horror is. She's from a children's book, effectively. So she's like, yeah, it'd be great. I'll just do this. Don't you want to meet one of your creations? And then Barker's creation, in this case, Pinhead comes out and it's like, yeah, there we go. I've created this. And the, it, it, the almost top trumps, as it were, of, right, childlike fiction witch versus horror fucking interdimensional thing, that's going to win every single time. So he just, like, you know, does his thing with the Confederation, sucks her in, is like, right, okay, I'm going to go now. Buggers off. Stein Prime. Yes. Does he also have a bunch of books that come true if you open them? No. Or is it just the time when he wrote the events of the first Goosebumps film? So he, he wrote the screenplay that... of the original movie. Stein, played by Carl Gass, yes. just writes a bunch of books. And yes. one of the books happens to be the events that we have seen as a film that is Goosebumps. Mm. Does that make okay. sense to you? So what, what makes that mm. special in that people could escape from it into the real world slash it all came true? Uh, type stuff. Yeah, I probably need to explain that. Probably just the fact that he included himself and the fact the characters are gaining consciousness and reality and that kind of thing like that. I, I like that it's there's some meta to it because obviously the first one has a level of meta fiction sure, to it. Sure. I think you get too entangled with the levels of meta hopping going on. Okay. I think it I think it gets I think you get tied up in it in itself a little bit. I'm confused. But... I can no, tell. I can it tell. makes it makes a lot. It makes a lot more sense now. Um, well, how would just... you guys? Again, like, this is what we do with the with the, the sort of writers' mm. room aspect. We take what we've got and say, right, we need to hammer this into shape. I, I, the the idea of a choose your own adventure that's quite interesting. I must admit. Um, I'd... Like I said that was in, that was instantly my first mm. thought when it started resetting. I was like, oh, that's see, a I didn't really idea. know or appreciate until we started talking about this. The idea that the Goosebumps book started off as a choose your own adventure. So I was like, yeah. Oh. I don't think they started that way, but I think they have a version. Yeah, of they, they were a spin-off. They, they yeah. Into that. Yeah, 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 sorry. yeah, yeah. Um, I wondered, like mm -hmm. I said, not necessarily maybe having Kyle Gass as Stephen King, but having Stephen King as Stein's nemesis. Sure. And mm. I wonder if involving Barker. I know you said like Barker is the less obvious choice, but because it's a kids' film, I feel like you kind of may have to play on that. The reference in the first film is so like, oh, that's funny. You mentioned Stephen King. I mm. outsold him. I've always outsold him. 400 million yeah. copies. And like, <laughs> you, it ties together. I mean, the like, second film has a, has a Stephen King reference in it as well because it's got the, uh, the red balloon from it. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. 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 Um, but have either a King creation, whether that's Pennywise or. I don't know, like a version of Jack Torrance or whatever it is. Like, <laughs> I don't know Stephen King stuff outside of Dark Tower very much. Um, to, to be fair, that's that's part of the problem because then you say, "Oh, Carrie, well, that's just a girl covered in blood," and you're like, yeah. "Oh, what about uh, <laughs> Misery? That's just a woman." 
with a hammer. Yeah. And, and it, it, this is the point I'm trying to get to. It's like, what look? And even then, it's like, like, like Jack Torrance, like, kids aren't going to get that either. And I'm not saying that, like, I, you know, because I'm, I'm forcing you guys to fix a situation I've put you in. Mm. I, I, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. It's not necessarily more kid friendly, but I think that makes more sense for what is set up in the first film than just, here's Clive Barker and Pinhead kind of thing. The argument is that go for Pennywise, surely, because it's a clown. I, yeah, Pennywise would make the most sense to me. Mm. Okay. And it is in the public consciousness, so people are aware of it. Yeah, mm. and I think you play into the not necessarily the funniness to reduce the horror, but you've still got to balance it with kiddie horror type stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Because mm. I know you said like you play with lighting to make Pinhead less scary, but as a as a guy who is deathly afraid of needles, I would absolutely <laughs> shit. I, I shit myself as a thirty year old, let alone if I was watching this as a ten year old or whatever. Um, but like, I, I think you can I, make I really... the clown less scary enough to make yeah. to make him work in that world couldn't be tim curry and it couldn't be um bill Skarsgård, as i say so it would have to be a new of uh, just a different clown basically it's just a new yeah. version mm-hmm. yeah sure 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 that makes sense like i really like the idea of like bringing in other horror writers both real and and having like a fictional one mm. me too and the kyle gas casting is <laughs> genius <laughs> oh amazing um like i'd almost be tempted to maybe do a plot where like he is like a jealous other horror writer okay. who like maybe steals the um the typewriter um and then you can have you can have it come to a conclusion at like a writer's summit or a you know horror symposium or whatever um and have get a lot of other references in there um and stuff like that um like there's there's a lot that i really like about this i just don't know if it would work for the audience that is going to be watching yeah. it, like I feel like there, there's, there's almost like a Charlie Kaufman adaptation, <laughs> like yes, level yeah. of like getting, getting to that level. It's like, have you seen Anomalisa? Like... It's like, why? <laughs> <laughs> why have it's you like brought Anomalisa that up? for ten year olds? Like, sorry, well, what? Yeah. I think, I think the frustration. Well, no, maybe not the frustration. I think maybe where I've gone wrong here is that I've gone for the whole. Don't worry, I'll make it like an eighties, nineties thing. And the problem is. Well, not the problem. It, the thing is, if I release this and say, like, in 1989, right? You got Ghostbusters doing what it's doing, which is terrifying, mm. but works basically. Gremlins is—is mm. is it a kids' film? Is it not? Kind of shit. It isn't. Mm. Um, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera. <laughs> this is 1989, and it's referencing things from 30 years prior. So it's referencing the 50s. So it's like the creature from the Black Lagoon, like the whole mm. like uh, Monster Squad and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, a, a fucking reptilian, scary ass scale monster! No, 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 that terrified mm. me in the '60s. Fuck that! No, you know, yeah. it it makes sense, but I think by contemporary standards of like 2019, it might not. I don't know. Um, I I still, I'm not, I'm not just being arrogant and prideful here. Um, I still think it'll play fine, but I think the audience would have to skew a little older. I could do a bit more explaining here and there, make sure it works. But yeah, I can see what you guys are saying with the whole using Stephen King better. Yeah, that's a big part of it is the re- restraint of the word count and stuff like that. So we oh, that's always a way, that, isn't kind it? Of like, yeah. like you said, they fight the thing off and then escape. And it's like, well, that's a way longer and like well shot, interesting <laughs> action piece and all that kind of stuff. Like I said, it lost me a couple of times and... Granted, I'm not the biggest horror fan, and I'm not the most knowledgeable and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so that that's I think that that, pop, that very much is my fault for not kind of like that's not your fault because you're an audience member. So yeah, don't know what the <laughs> box is. Box sounds great. Mm. Don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> speaking of 
like Monster Squad and stuff. I remember mm. one of the funny enough one of the choose your own adventure ones I had was a picture of Gilman like reaching out a big clawed gilled hand. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I wonder if Gilman's going to show up and and like other little <laughs> references to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because all those monsters are just rip offs of everything else. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, yeah. Stein's work is already derivative of all these famous other creations. Yeah, sure, sure. Like oh, look, it's Dracula, but not Dracula. Oh, yeah. it's Gilman, yeah. but not Gilman. <laughs> like, oh, it's a giant praying mantis. Oh, yeah, great, cool. Um, yeah. I wonder if you could play on that and have, like you said, Tim, with another, having Kyle Gass as an author who, like, sees Stein mm. as a bit of a hack and mm. maybe reference him as Stephen King or, again, be literally Stephen King or whatever it is, mm. and have mm. him kind of bring his creations to life he fight, he has another version whether it's like kind of like champ does with his doodle at the end there mm. Mm. that's that is i really like that as a final <laughs> me too gag, i ab- i absolutely love that and and the fact that it's champ it's like of course it's champ that's brilliant <laughs> reminds reminds me a bit of what's his name is it spoony from uh toy story 4 forky, forky. not spoony <laughs> <laughs> what about what about sporky yeah. Ah, oh, so you've played um, Knifey Spoony before. <laughs> yeah, have having another author like mess with with Jack Black, R.L. Stein, and like controlling their universe by like by yeah writing stuff and have that because I think that that reset at the beginning like is a really and and whether you do that as a, as a choose your own adventure or or whatever, I feel like that's that was already almost like an interesting enough concept and to then yeah, like that's exactly go, what i was thinking yeah go into then like transporting into more real universes interdimensional and, travel yeah, yeah it felt like you had a rich enough premise at the start that you didn't need to necessarily like go an extra level but that's right you could you could use the other horror here here's how we tie it back in we we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're getting there this is the writer's room magic of, of the <laughs> the current format you realize the world is being played with by other authors. Mm. And there are references to Barker's stuff and to Marbury's stuff and to King's stuff. And like they wake up and they're in an ice maze and you just hear like, here's Johnny. And they're like, what the mm. fuck is going on? And they're just kind of running and they bump into somebody and or, or they go through a portal or whatever it is mm. um, and get transported. I think there you could have a reference to Pinhead and references to other stuff and make it feel like more of the first film where you have like enough of the monsters that are a, a central theme. Sure. But now it's not just Stein's monsters, it's other horror monsters that are coming through. Mm-hmm. And because the invisible boy still exists in the real world, mm-hmm. what is yeah. the real world here? Because we're not using the extra layer of meta. He's like cracked it open a bit and you get Clarissa coming through you get a Barker creation, you get a King creation coming through and it's assault of the monsters from different things. And you keep it fresh and different from the first one by varying up with different locations and stuff. And and I think having like the, the escapes and the twist and like the, the giant tentacle coming out of the water and stuff. And those moments work mm. really, really well. I think maybe having a mixture of Stein and then, he realizes, like, wait, I never wrote a story about this thing. I mean, he did literally write a story about an evil clown. Like, mm. he, of he, he does. I'm sure. Like, yeah, so. I'm sure there's an evil clown, if it's not all, more than one. Somewhere <laughs> it's all the, derivative. Uh... It's all derivative kids, children, yeah, yeah, yeah. bollocks. Anyway, yeah, it's just basically 
streamline, simplify. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Slightly more kid friendly with fucking Pinhead. Uh, I'm really looking forward to when we uh, sequel get around to sequelizing a Hellraiser film and just have Jack Black show up. In it. <laughs> <laughs> Write that oh. down, Tim. Write that down right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm intrigued to what the listeners are going to think as well because yes, like I yeah, said, I'm really... my my lack of horror knowledge really kind of bit me in the ass there. I think a lot of our listeners are a lot more educated than me about Hellraiser <laughs> and about all this other kind of stuff. That might mean more reason why they think is more inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, I mean potentially, but they they I think will have a really interesting conversation with the listeners. Them doing a bit of a writers' room and working with us and coming up with ideas and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, I think I think it's it's full of rich and ripe ideas, and I really really like so much of it. It just kind of lost me at the end there, and I think with a few little tweaks and the, the stuff that we talked about. Yeah, it's it's fair to say like it's overcooked or anything like this. Might be yeah, we can work it into something that would work. That's yeah. all good. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing what people think of this one uh, because uh, Matt Matt made some big swings. I did, and it's one of those like. Never in a million years would I have guessed where this is going. <laughs> yeah. There's quite a few, like, I thought there's some really obvious ways to do the sequel with the Invisible Boy as, like, the central villain and all that kind of... It literally sets that up. Why they chose to bring Slappy back, fuck off, for the actual yeah. sequel. Yeah. But I think there's some really obvious kind of... Things that would have been much, much worse, potentially. But obvious things that come up and you were like... Fuck that. His five layers of meta. I'm like, okay, <laughs> here we go. Curse your predictable um, sequels. I'll make something that's unpalatable. <laughs> no one could possibly guess. And who comes out of the end? It's Pinhead, kids. <laughs> like, Yay! Yay! <laughs> exactly. Well, with the Goosebump sequel sequelized, that sums us up for another episode. You can follow us and chat with us. As I mentioned, I'm very, very intrigued to see what you guys think. And if you have any, yeah, you know, it may be that we're we're in the complete minority, and everyone else loves it, and we're I I am I am very much guessing that's going to be the way. Yeah, <laughs> shut up, Jack. You're an idiot. You don't know your horror, like <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So yeah, let us know on social media. We are Sequelizers on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Join us on the Discord. Have a chat with us on Patreon. You can go to sequelizers.com and find links to Discord, social media, a shop with our merch all the links to the podcast apps and all that kind of stuff you could possibly need all in one place on our website, sequelizers.com. You can follow me and tell me why I'm wrong and my lack of horror knowledge (laughs) is is ridiculous for a man in his 30s with reasonable pop culture knowledge. I am JLW Chambers on basically everything. Matt, how about you? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. You can go to cheeseman.com and things to see the things I make. You can go to the red right hand at Cody and see the things that I review. Tim, if I was to summon you for an alternate universe, <laughs> how many pins would be in your face? <laughs> uh, just one in each ear. Hey! Ooh. Like Itchy the Killer. Ooh. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, we should have had Itchy the Killer. <laughs> kids, kids love Itchy the Famous, Killer. Famously child-friendly Itchy the Killer. The, the bag from Audition just <laughs> comes out of us. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh, you can find me on social media. Uh, on Twitter, I am Trivia underscore Lad. Uh, that's where I do most of my social media-ing. Uh, so come, come chat to me there. Well, like we said, let us know, listeners. But until then... 
Thank you much for listening, and we will see you next week for the next episode of Season 8.